Did you see that? I did. It's time for connect this. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm just of impressed course. you know how to plug in an Ethernet cable. Just you know, I got I got almost the first try. Yeah. Um, welcome. Uh, we got some a lot of fun topics today to talk about what's going on in the world of broadband, and we're gonna do it with our most famous and beloved crew. Uh, we'll start with Doug Dawson, the guy behind CCG and specifically Pots and Pans by CCG.com. Welcome. Well, welcome. I'm glad to be here today. I think we're going to have a really good show because Travis is on fire today. So. Absolutely. Two, two cups of coffee will do that. Let's get it uh, done. Yeah. yeah. And even if Travis's whole body wasn't on fire, it sounds like his knee might be on fire. Oh, so yeah. much. But I, I actually like the fact that Kim still looks confused about the Ethernet cable being plugged in. So. <laughs> I was going to wait till my introduction. Oh, for sorry, that. sorry, Kim. Yeah. Welcome, oh. Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, where she's the chief marketing officer, and that is the least of her talents. So remarkable. Well, it is true, but I need to know, Chris. First of all, Doug, I felt like you were just making an Academy Award speech when you got introduced. And second of all, Chris, I'm really worried about how long that took you to put together. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, what's important is that we got there. And everything I do sounds like an Academy Award speech. <laughs> I was actually aiming for dramatic tension, but I guess that failed. Yeah. Uh, Traver Car Traver Carter, Traver Cardis, <laughs> yes, yes, my, my good friend Traver Cardis yes, from USI Fiber in Minneapolis. Welcome. All right. And you know what? Because it's going to be riddled all over social media tonight. I want to be the first. Okay, there we go. Everybody's going to have it posted. You know, every time their kids go back to school or they vote, it's got to be just inundated for a day. So there you go. I uh, I did vote last week just in case I tripped on the way home from something and wrecked my knee. Yeah. That would be me, yes, yes. Yeah. And then I had to do an MRI. Wow, that was an experience. And then watch YouTube for the next hour trying to figure out how an MRI works. So that is the nerd I am. So Yeah, it's alien technology. It's totally <clears throat> magic. Um Let's start off with, uh, we're going to jump into a number of different topics here. We're going to talk about what's really happening at the ACP as a bunch of us realize that the number is actually being drawn down less rapidly than we thought and why that is. Uh, we're going to look at what's happening with Starlink and their cap. We're going to talk about some other wireless stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about mapping and, and what's going on. Here we are in November. We don't have any maps yet. And all we know is that we're supposed to lower our expectations. Key question for the audience. Is it possible to lower our expectations around mapping? Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of other things. But we're going to start it all off with uh, a quick uh, aside about Comcast and $100 internet, which was a, a prediction that Doug has made and Travis has been hung up on for ever since he made it. Well, we now have it. Um, Comcast has the best marketing people in the United States in this industry because in the Northeast, they turn their biggest weakness into uh, money. And so they have terrible upload speeds. And so now for only $25 a month, they will give you like 30 megabits of upload speed. And so you have to pay for something that you should already be given. And what they're not saying is everyone else is going to get slower internet speeds. <laughs> well, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, of course. When could, those folks it, go faster, everyone else is going to... Well, if they, if they add capacity, right? So, I mean, like, we were down for an hour and or two hours. My my folks are on Comcast in a different part of the city. They were down briefly. Or they're replacing the amplifiers or doing whatever they need to do out there to, like, be able to increase their... Change their split so they have more upload capacity. Isn't it possible that we'll just see that they're just going to monetize that extra capacity and the rest of us will be okay? 
Well, no matter where they set that capacity, when they give some people priority, the other people don't have priority. We'll be talking about that more with Starlink, but the way they're going to give them the faster speeds is a priority connection, and that def by definition interferes with other phones. So. Yeah, and it's like, what, 25 35 bucks a month or something like that for yeah, extra? Yeah, 25 bucks a 25? month. 25 so And remember, their base price was already at 92 so we're way over $100, Travis. We made it. Well, first of all, I'm just more impressed that consumers are aware what, of what upload speeds mean, because for people to even pay it and them to market that way, they feel like that there is a demand for that product. So kudos to Comcast and my fellow marketers out there for taking a uh, looking for a weakness and, and capitalizing on it. I don't think it's the right way to do this, but it is an ingenious way to do this. It is an ingenious way. Give them credit. Give them credit. Wow. And um, Shana says um, uh, there, there's a new study that's coming out. Comcast pay the highest prices in California for internet, more than Charter, AT&T, and Frontier. I would not have guessed that necessarily. I would have guessed, I would have guessed Charter probably. I'm a little overwhelmed. No, right? no, they're always more than Charter. The one that they're probably not higher. Cox is the highest. So they're probably not higher than Cox. Guys, I don't, know, you, if, I don't you... know if Cox is in California. So. Cox is in a little bit of the San Diego area, but I think it has very few customers in, uh, in California. Go ahead, Kim. We need to talk. We've had two people comment in the first six minutes. I mean, that is like double our usual um, attendance. So I'm maybe Tuesday's our day. Fire. We're on fire today. I'm telling either you. either it's Tuesdays. Maybe it's election day. And we just have to. We should have more elections. Like, <laughs> I think maybe. it was it was Travis's I voted button. Yeah, yeah. People, they, people were on social media and they were looking for any excuse to get off social media and do something <laughs> else. And, and we're providing them for that. Um, so the Comcast thing, the other question I had about that, they, you have to take like the whole X5 system with their you, wireless. Oh, yeah, you also have to buy their $14 a month modem. Yeah. Which is, I find really frustrating because I actually think this is where Comcast is just going to monetize our data more, right? Because if you're inside the home running the wireless system, if you own the Wi-Fi units, this is why Amazon and Google got into that game by buying companies that were doing it. You have tons of information about what's going on in the home. You have you know, information that otherwise you would not get about what devices people are using, when they're using them, and perhaps other stuff. And you don't get that with their own. That only benefits them, not you. Right? Mm -hmm. Now you can but still put it, your own. It, you can put your own wireless system in and turn theirs off. You just have to pay for it. Yeah, that's what I was planning on doing. You know, but Kim, I, I would ask you because I know for us the number one um, issue that we run into is is in home Wi Fi. So I think well, I think what they're really trying to do is is obviously it's it's margin, but it's also to control the user experience because yeah. really the, the only complaints we get is if they've got. I'll never forget the $20 router somebody bought from Goodwill and was just complaining, <laughs> complaining, complaining how poor their fiber service was. And they just couldn't, they couldn't put the, it together that, you know, buy cheap, buy twice, right? It was probably from Wi-Fi too, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't even know it could probably plug in. I, I get why Comcast is doing the whole router thing and like our modem and controlling that experience. I totally get it. But you're having this balance in this marketplace where people want to be able to buy their own equipment and not be forced into doing it. So I have a provider on my network who offers it for free for a certain product, like a, like a, like this is even for the managed Wi-Fi. But they're they're saying we don't you don't have to have it, but we're offering it to you so we can help you with those solutions. So I think that's where Comcast is going wrong in this of forcing it down your throat and saying you have well, to pay for it. That I just want the fourteen dollar price is really. Outrageous. 
this for a yeah. hundred dollar box. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I do want to note this. So um, no, no, uh, no puppet strings, but um, I'm going to defend Comcast again. Um, I'll say that they're, devices that they are leasing are at least good now right remember we yeah. used to have to lease the worst set-top boxes that barely worked and just were awful um now at least we're leasing devices that uh, provide a better experience so that is in their favor at least i will give them to this to comcast as well they have been criticized heavily about their customer experience for decades and i think that they are very much trying to work on that and I don't think a lot of people want to give them credit, even if it has improved at all. Oh, I've been saying that for ever since Brian Roberts made it a priority. Although I think at this point, they probably hit their limit. I can't imagine they're going to make it much better. Um, you know, I, I think there's I've had multiple good experiences with them. And like I've had other people relay good experiences to me with them. But we still hear lots of negative ones. And there's just you can't provide customer service at the scale that they operate with the legacy that they have and the old systems. Um, you know, you just you can't make it as good as Travis is going to make it. Or, I just want or you utopia, know, supposedly. Yeah. I don't know. I want you to know, Travis, that if they keep talking good like this about Comcast, you and I are going to start a Comcast drinking game. That's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Hang on. I'm, I'm ready. I got I got my shot glass ready to go. Now, let me tell you how great I love, how much I love CenturyLink, the other competitor to USI Fiber. <laughs> I like them both, actually. You know, they, they do a nice job. Right. Don't change, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't change a thing. You're, you're just, you're knocking it out. So I wanted to update people on, uh, we, we talked before about East Carroll Parish in Louisiana, where they were getting screwed by the cable company, uh, which is Sparklight, which used to be Cable One, which changed their name because everyone that ever used Cable One has had a miserable freaking experience with it. And so they have another year or two before they'll have to change away from Sparklight as everyone has miserable experiences with them. Uh, they challenged uh, a grant that was going to bring fiber to East Carroll Parish. The state then uh, decided that uh, Sparklight had not provided sufficient evidence that they actually were providing the speeds that they claimed and ruled against them. And since then, Sparklight has re... Uh, what's it called when you... Um, um, oh, the words are great today. I got too much sleep last night. Um, they appealed it. Um, and so it's not yet resolved. Um, so a uh, quick update on that. We'll have more on that as we're able to. But uh, this community that desperately needed better connections needs to have a choice uh, is getting screwed still by Sparklight, uh, which um, uh, from what we've heard behind the scenes, they're going to be taking this road show um, on the road, taking the show on the road. And um, we're going to see in a lot more states where Sparklight is doing this sort of stuff, um, um, likely a mix of fraudulent versus real claims of, up of uploads. Uh, at the same time, go ahead. And delay, delay, delay. That's all. Awesome. Delay, delay, delay. At the same time, they did pop $50 million into Zipply Fiber, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, you're like, our service sucks so much, and we operate in areas where we don't have any, any opposition, so we're not actually going to put a lot of money into upgrading our system, but we are going to invest in a company that does know how to provide a decent service, supposedly, in the Northwest. So, you know, that's interesting. Or maybe it's not. <laughs> that's the first bit of silence that you've had on this show since it started never. Uh, never taking never taking a breath again that's it um let's talk about starry because i this article in telecompetitor just popped out by joan angerbritson and i I've, I've always enjoyed joan when she covers things which she does regularly. i just say that because there was in other places too but i focused on joan's story just noting that its share price has totally tanked and it's like basically ripe to totally fall apart. And I felt like we just talked about them and we're talking about how, how well they were run. And I know that they tried to go too big, too fast, 
But I'm also curious if this is a story of of just like wireless, which we see again and again, which is these massive hype cycles around certain kinds of wireless. It's going to solve all their problems, and then they just can't pull it all together. Um, or is this a is this a story of growth? Is this a story about wireless? Is there a combination? This is a story of plain economics. And before the show, I quoted fifty million dollars a month. They're burning fifty million dollars a quarter, so they're just losing money. Um, I, I believe because they went public and they have and their investor back that I think they were being pushed to grow very fast. They only have 60 or 70,000 customers and you can't burn 50,000, 50 million a quarter with that kind of losses. I think that they'd simply are running out of money. Uh, everything that I read about them is their products good. People like them. Uh, they offer symmetrical speeds in the 200 megabit range for dirt cheap. Uh, and so you know, there's nothing to be said bad about them as an ISP, but they have really good customer service. It's self-provision. People love that. I mean, they have all the good things going for them. But, but okay, uh, so you know, they can't overcome lack of money. So, so why is it that they um, they only have sixty thousand customers? I mean, the the thing that we hear from people who want to pri prioritize wireless over all else is that it's just you could build this so fast. Why aren't they able to build it that fast? Well, they're they're first off competing in metro areas. So they're not competing out where they have a much better chance of getting everybody to sign up. You know, their big market right now is Columbus, Ohio, the entire, you know, there's like 12 cities around Columbus. It's that whole area to only have that many customers for a, it's gotta be two and a half million people in that area. So it's really not a very good take rate. It so they're not, seems, they're not getting their message across. Somehow. It just seems like a bad business model. It looks like bad yeah. business practices more than anything. I mean, it, and you're going to see this in this industry, not just for them, for others. They're trying to go out there too aggressive, not, and thinking that like, you'll build it, they will come kind of model. That's and it's it. not going to happen. And you have to look at this in a smarter way. I, I was actually having this conversation earlier. Everybody sees this like huge demand right now. So they're like trying to build and do all this thing so quickly but they still have to look at the economics. It's kind of like how Travis is like, I'm going to build this much this year, build this much this year, and kind of looking at it as a slow progression and not trying to get to everyone like in six months. You're not going to make that happen. Now, Travis, that, how do you maintain so much hype around tortoise fiber over there? Yeah. You know, just slow and steady wins the race, right? No, but so you you have a habit. You For a while, you were building out to like alternating streets, and that seemed like it helped to build the hype. Well, that's the thing, you know, it's uh, fear of missing out, right? So you want to make sure that uh, people, at the end of the day, you know, Doug actually brought up with, or I think you did with Comcast. I mean, you just, you have to over-service people. And it's not that, it's not that hard at a smaller scale. I mean, to do that with tens of millions of customers would, would be challenging. But service, 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 be the ISP you want to be, which quite frankly is nobody wants to deal with their ISP. They just want it to work. And so I... It, I just I just don't find it hard to compete with folks. Um, but I would say that we are starting to fall more in line with national averages. And the bigger we get, it, it's interesting. And I don't know about you, Kim, but it it is interesting to see like year one, 30 percent, year mm -hmm. two, 40, you know, and then year by year four or five, you're at 50 percent. It it does take time where in the early mm -hmm. years, man, you'd hit 50 percent by the end of year one. I mean, it was it was like. You know, it was it was easy picking. It, it's I'm, getting a little more. It's getting a little bit more complicated nowadays. Kim, you've had the benefit of multiple markets. Is that more yeah. of a big city thing? No, I think it's a big city. I think it depends on the market. I actually had this. I've had a lot of conversations about broadband lately. <laughs> but I had this conversation yesterday of if you're going into a rural area where you have a ILEC that hasn't done anything in 20 years, 
and you're building out, you're going to get an 80% penetration rate within like two years, maybe even one year. But if you're going into a competitive area where the, the options are good enough, you're not going to see that uptake um, of 50% in year one. That's unrealistic. And it, that shouldn't even be put in a feasibility study. So like back in the day on Utopia's original feasibility study, which I found the other, like a, like a year or so back, said that we would get like 80%. Oh, yeah. And you're one, and you're, that would never happen. You can't even do the loops that fast. You can't put drops mm. in that fast. But uh, uh, she makes an exactly good point. You know, Travis actually made it. Since Travis has gone into the business, Comcast has probably increased their speeds two and maybe three times. And they did that without raising the prices. They raise their prices anyway. But, they, but you know, the customers are not as unhappy with them as they would have been 10 years ago. And so it's just harder to compete against. Mm -hmm. She just said it. It's all right. It's they're not. It's not dreadful. It's all right. So. And and we've said this before. The more subscribers in, on the cable plant that get converted over to Utopia or USI, the better the cable plant becomes. Right. So so, so, there, so there gets to be kind of a contention point where it's more hassle than it's worth to people. I mean, luckily the COVID thing. I mean, I'll be the only one that says luckily COVID. But <laughs> but, but people were at home. And so they had time to have people come and, and, and do installs and whatnot. So we had huge uptake during during COVID. And then, you know, the whole thing in the rural area, you guys are right. You know, the rural project we're doing, if you don't get 70% like right away when you open up an area, you're doing something wrong because they've had nothing forever. And the hype is... I mean, when you when you come by to to put in the mainline fiber and everyone's bringing you cookies and lemonade and like they're they're so excited. To, hey, can we move our cars for you? Anything we can do to get this in? I mean, they're just tickled pink. When you do it in the metro area, they're like, "Don't mess my petunias, or I'm going to call city council." You know, it's a it's a different it's a different take on the excitement level compared to what it used to be. I I, I don't know what you have against petunias. I, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I never hear disturbing. Yeah. He's never he's never harshing the begonias for the begonia. yeah. I only know so many here. Uh hydrangeas. We'll go hydrangeas next, right? <laughs> I just I just spent a week in Holland, uh so um in Holland, uh Michigan. And uh, first of all, amazing city. I'm definitely going back with the family, going to do some uh, camping around that area and hanging out. But uh, tulips as well, uh, big mm -hmm. tulip town. Millions, millions of tulips, apparently. Yes. Um, like 4 million tulips and like 2 million people will come see them or something like that. Yeah, but, but don't nuts. blink, you'll miss them. They only last like an afternoon. So <laughs> It's the oddest flower. It's the yeah. oddest flower that is out there. Now that we're on flower talk and yes. on broadband. Yes, yes. Um, the there's a thing that popped up that I just want to throw out. It was kind of related to the wireless. Um, and I uh, just want to note uh, one of the people who's regularly on me as though I'm an anti-wireless person, as opposed to being a person who tries to take a measured balance on this stuff, um, was just saying, uh, I said something about Starlink and the... Um, and how it was a, 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 a necessary trade-off with wireless often uh, when one has to, um, you know, has trouble with congestion and that sort of thing. And um, they, he tells me there's plenty of bandwidth available and getting one gig non-light of sight is here. And so I just want to ask you, Travis, because we, we talked about this with the other <laughs> stuff. Uh, is that one gig non-line of sight there for you? Where is it at? <laughs> it's not here. <laughs> I think this oh, is you know, what's the signal? What's the SNR? What's the distance to the tower? Is the tower fiber fed? Is it symmetrical? It isn't going to be symmetrical because unless you have two radios in there. I mean, um, yeah, Josh, yeah, Josh, it's in the cloud. Now we do we do line of sight 
10 gig all day long, you know, that's like a slam dunk, easy peasy, but a one gig symmetrical non-line of sight. Shoot. I just spent all that money on the, that Tarvana stuff to show, to prove it. I'm that pretty was- sure that's what he's referencing. He's saying yeah. Tarvana is the, is that. <laughs> and it's not here in the 10 gig. And just to make sure we understand those are really expensive radios. These are not for homes. No, so, no, 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 no. What is the price for a 10 gig set of radios? Oh, uh, I want to say it's about $8,000 a link. Yeah. So yeah. you don't do that for your house. No, no, no. These are like rooftop to rooftop in like a downtown area. Mm-hmm. Starlink is changing uh, its approach in ways that I uh, love to see. And just in the sense that, I mean, I'm not thrilled with bandwidth caps. So it seemed like it would be inevitable. But the fact that they are um, they are exempting it during non-peak hours is something that we don't see from the cable companies, right? Like these ridiculous caps that the cable companies have uh, when they should not be recording anything, uh, you know, at 1 a.m. against your cable cap because it ain't hurting nobody. Um, the uh, Starlink seems like it's taking a responsible approach here. We have a Starlink enthusiast among us. Uh, Travis, what do you, how do you react to this? Well, I think any wireless technology is going to have data caps, rate limiting, packet shaping. It just has to. And I think people need to understand that, you know, Starlink is just another wireless technology. So if you've got, if it's a point to multi-point t- technology, you're going to need to do things to, to mitigate you know, people that are sitting there torrenting 24 by seven and, and choking up all the bandwidth. So I think, I, I think it's inevitable, you know, packet shaping will be next. I think the only controversy here is that when they first opened Elon Musk said, we'll never have caps. He should have never said that. <laughs> yeah. Because the fact Technically is, they don't, right? I mean, they, they, no, they, they, it's not they a hard cap. They don't have a hard cap, but they slow you down. It was like, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that he, he said that he would never do that, and I remember now he's only got 2,300 satellites and eventually he says eventually 30,000, they'll probably never get to that, but, but they're still going to have a lot more than today. And all he's, all that really means is for today for 2,300, he's starting to see problems. Does anyone know if he ever got his heavy lift rocket going? Cause that's the issue, right? They were supposed to be doing heavy lift rockets with much larger numbers of satellites to be deployed on a regular basis. A test launch with it. They haven't launched satellites with it yet. Because um, I thought that was like last year they were targeting to do that. And that was going to help yeah. them boost the number of satellites they had up there. And now he's, I don't know, he's distracted saving Twitter. Like, Thanks a lot. That one had some big problems like an explosion on the launch pad and big things. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the Gen 2 satellites are too heavy for the current yeah. Um, yeah. Falcon uh, boost. You know why I think he did it is because his PR right now is so going so well. So he needed to do put something positive into the press. I got something. This is what I can give you right now. <laughs> right. But let's, let's be clear here. Travis, how does this change your perception of Starlink? Not at all. You love it. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, you know, here's the thing. I, I like boring technology that works when you need it. And so far on the road, Starlink is miles ahead of anything else. And the new Starlink dish just arrived yesterday, which is even going to be better. So excited about that. So you have to pay for the next one or did they just send it to you for free? No, no, I paid for it because, you know, when, when Chris needs to connect this show and you're in the middle of nowhere, it better work. So, and it has, we saw a definite difference when you were on Starlink, Uh, Travis, you were, uh, you were also sharing something um, about with me about speed tests and wireless (laughs) that I was not aware of. Oh, this is okay. So Chris, I called Chris and I'm like, you know, every one of these, um, 
uh, YouTube videos I watch from, you know, I guess our competition. I don't know who they are. You know, other YouTube shows where they talk about this. It's always speed test, speed test, speed test, speed test. And I'm not sure if these people understand that a lot of these networks that have um, uh, packet prioritization systems behind them, especially in the wireless world, will prioritize speed test packets above all else to give the yes. consumer a false sense of performance. So we're going speed test, speed test. But and when you hit speed test, all the bandwidth you get or the vast majority of it for that speed test so that you you feel as though you're getting what you're paying for. I think it's like one of the biggest shams in this whole industry, especially over wireless technology. So I called Chris and I, and I want to I want to pose the question to Kim and Doug. If we were going to go out and buy a network, what would we be buying? Obviously, we'd buy we'd be buying ARPU and EBITDA and all the financial components. But from the network standpoint, wouldn't we be buying the infrastructure, the, the facilities that are in the ground or in the air and the utilities? So if it's a coax network because or if it's a fiber network, we know we can upgrade those networks mm -hmm. relatively easily. So I'm not sure why everyone is so focused on speed, especially speed test, when I think the tests are all invalid anyways. Well, just so you know, cable companies also have been rigging the speed test. For years. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's just what they do. Uh, and so, <clears throat> yeah, speeds are important, but what they don't tell you is 100 megabit connection, on a fiber network is far superior to 100 megabit connection on wireless or cable. And it's because of latency and jitter and all sorts of other issues. It's not the same thing. And so, you know, you just can't, speed is only yeah. one of the things that matter. In fact, when it comes down to day-to-day -day experience, it's the least of the three. So, well, at a certain point, I mean, I think we're, you're saying well, that in the context of, of yes. I mean, like once you've hit like say hundred megabits or so going from hundred to 200 is less important than having that higher quality of experience yes. in other yes. facts. Yes. That's what yeah. I think it's so funny. Thank you for filling in the words. You're doing good today. <laughs> <laughs> he is a host, Doug. He is a host. He is. He's a good host. I, I'm I making those so. connections. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think what I when I knew speed tests were hoax is when somebody showed me that they got one gig speed test. And I was like, no way. You have a one gig connection and you're getting a one gig speed test. Yeah, we know that that speed. Not test. over the open. Yeah. Yeah. No. I was I was surprised. And I don't I assume it was a it was an anomaly of the speed test, but I was running a speed test on a connection with a gigabit router. And at one point it claimed 1.2, you know, when it's sort of bouncing around a little bit. And I was like, I don't think that happened. <laughs> so, so wouldn't we buy, would, if we, if we were going to buy a network, would we buy a cable network over a wireless network and a fiber network over a cable network? Of course. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, I guess I think the question to Chris isn't the isn't the mapping question, even though we're not there yet in this conversation. Wouldn't it be more important to know what technology is there versus what speed you're getting? The FCC is collecting that information. Okay. It's just that most of us aren't really paying close attention to that. Okay, very nice. And, and I, what I my answer to Travis and and Kim, I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this particularly. Um, my answer was that it's because government wants to provide this idea of being technologically neutral because um, you don't, people in the government are very sensitive to being uh, accused of picking winners and losers. There is this an assumption that government, oh, we, whenever it does it, that's wrong. Uh, although we've picked winners in terms of like concrete and macadam over like dirt 
uh, for roads. Um, but nonetheless, like uh, I feel like the reason we don't focus on technology is because it would be inconvenient when dealing with government to be picking a winner uh, when the thriving marketplace is providing alternatives. Mm. So, okay, the role of government, Christopher, if you know this, is to provide, like, don't you like that I used your formal name, um, <laughs> is that they are supposed to do this for their residents and they're supposed to make it financially feasible for their residents. So if you're looking for a solution, wouldn't you go for the longest term solution that best benefits and their the residents and long term <clears throat> for the community? I think you have to pick winners and losers in technology. I just think you do if you're talking from a government aspect, because you've got there's this not just you have to remain neutral. You're doing this for a reason, not just because you want to get in the Internet business. Right. So I think you're addressing what we should do. But would you agree with me that this is why we haven't done that? We've focused on speeds. When I say we, I think people in public policy more generally, because uh, focusing on speeds allows us to avoid alienating anyone um, because we're not saying wireless is not a good investment. Yeah, nobody wants to piss off the people who are giving them money. I mean, you just don't. I mean, this is why these big companies and lobbying efforts are out there like they are, because you don't want to piss these guys off just because you want to you want to stay in that middle lane. You're right. You want to stay in the middle lane. But behind the scenes, they're absolutely picking winners and losers. They're just not publicly picking winners and losers. I, I like Chris's <laughs> analogy of the road real quick. So out, in, you know, all around here, it's all um, asphalt roads. Right. And they have to redo them every three or four years versus the concrete interstates they never do. So are the roads here are wireless roads and we have to redo them every couple of years and the the government invested in fiber roads between the county the states. Is that what we're talking about here, Mr. Mitchell? So uh, I'm curious what Doug Doug was going to jump in on it. So let's see what he has to say about it. I was ready for my next Academy Awards. <laughs> my, my blog tomorrow is about differences between fiber and wireless. So read it tomorrow. I'm sure that's the first time you've ever had this conversation, the difference between fiber and wireless. Yeah. Only here on this show is the only (laughs) Nobody else talks about it ever. I mean, I think think there are significant differences, but the thing that we agree, whenever we're talking with people who are, um, who I think are the ones that we think of as doing the good work, right? We've had multiple people on this show who deal in both wireless and fiber. And just about all of them, Weiber. Weiber. Um, just about all of them agree that we should be, there's other considerations, right? So if you're looking, moving to an area and you can connect a bunch of people in six months to a year with a wireless connection, and then you're building a business case for connecting them with fiber over the next five years, that's pretty smart, right? We're not disagreeing with that. I, I think where we disagree is the idea of like whether or not government money should be spent on wireless when we're trying to build something for the longer term. And and this is where I do upset people because I consistently say, I think we should be investing in stuff that will be around for a long time. And I'll just say that, like, I mean, it's been a lot of years since uh, FCC Commissioner O'Reilly, uh, who I think really summed up uh, the Republican position on this in Washington, D.C. He would always say, like, ah, we don't want to give people Ferraris or, or you know, nice cars. We want to give them a Chevy. And we've built like three or four Chevys for people in some rural areas, and they've never actually had a good car, right? Like they've always had crap Internet, and we've overpaid what it would have cost to give them a freaking Lamborghini to start. Uh-huh. Well, here's the really simple way to sum up what you just said. If wireless technology is good for seven years, we need 11 upgrades by the end of the century. Who are you going to give the money to that you can trust to do that? Yeah. You know, the fact is, that's that just sounds incredibly unlikely that that's going to happen. So, 
And so, you know, it's just, it's not a long, I'm not against wireless. I've been a customer of a Wisp, but, you know, there's certain places where I think it's the best answer there is. Uh, but, but federal money is the question, not, not technology. So. But I think, I think we would all agree on this is wireless is a short-term solution, like Chris said, to get the longer term play of getting fiber in the ground. We should use it that way, but we don't, we just use it as this is good enough and let's look for the next seven years and then let's readdress the problem and, and have the next tranche of money that's coming out to, because that didn't work. And these but, guys, but, but these grants aren't aimed to do that, unfortunately. These are probably a once in a lifetime chance for big money, and it's not going to come back in seven years. So, quick question for the regarding the grants: uh, Does the FCC do anything on on RDOF? I've had this question from a few people. Like, you know, the areas that Story has defaulted on. Does the FCC take action? My answer is no. The FCC sits and waits and watches until it can figure out when it would be smart to to do something with that money. Well, all that happens with the Starlink defaults is they fall back into eligibility for the other grants. The FCC is going to do nothing. Well, because the FCC was, was supposed to do a... RDOF 2. RDOF yeah. 2 is supposed to happen, but it's not, is what I'm saying. Well, they're not going to do that in the middle of B. That would be insane. So, yeah. And there probably won't be anything left after B for them to do it. One of those four. We'll see. So. Yes, I think that's a big we'll see. And let's talk about something else we'll see about <laughs> maps. <laughs> so I was we'll talking never, with my team. We'll, that's, that's a we'll never see. Can, oh, we just, just, yeah, can we give Travis the award for the maps coming out in 2026? Yeah. What I think was when he said it was they were coming uh, out. 2029, I thought he said. I maybe. don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I think the issue with the maps is we have not spent enough money. What is it, like 90 million on these maps? <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk I about mean, that. How Did we address this? The map generator, that, that's all we gave him to work with. I mean, well, I, in, yeah. I mean it is a, it a very challenging problem. Uh, but um, in New York City, I think, has already put in 31,000 corrections, uh, is the news article. And, and that's in New York City. I'm in New York State. Um, and, um, and yeah, the, I was talking to my team, and, and I was like, okay, what exactly is happening with the maps? Because we're meeting, we're planning a, a two-day event with a group of people in a rural area who are getting up to speed on broadband. And we want to tell them how they can be prepared to do the map challenges and things like that. None of us have seen the fabric. We don't even know what it's going to look like. We don't know how how to like you know, how are we going to prepare to like teach these people how to do it. And and I was looking at it and I was like, when are the when's this coming out? And this not. And I was like, we're the ones that are supposed to know this. But I figured I'd ask Kim and Doug <laughs> because what is going I've on? A, I've gotten a few peeks of it through my clients, but you can't see any big piece uh -oh. of the fabric. Only the ones that you're you're a lot of little peaks for like this little square mile here, right? And so. The fact is, if New York only has 31,000 corrections, that's actually a big success. That would be phenomenally good. Um, the, what, what they're trying to do is impossible. That's an impossible challenge. They're trying to, every six months, map the location of every single household and business in the United States. I mean, the census people would tell them they're insane. They can't do that every 10 years with a whole lot more money than what they're spending. So their approach is wrong. It's a flawed approach that will never work. I think, I think Travis is right. I just feel like if we give them more money, we'll uh, figure yeah. out. How to well, we're going to give them more money. That well, is we happening. Are. We are. But and, we're never, yeah, go ahead. Why are we it. mapping places that are ineligible for these federal programs anyways? What I mean, get rid of that, that and maybe there's a chance that they do these areas that are actually eligible. Well, that's the problem. We don't know what's eligible and not we don't eligible. Know. We don't know well, urban, urban areas are not. Well, no, no that's, that's the thing. The <laughs> I think we'll find that there are across the United States, there are millions of people 
within urban boundaries who do not have anything available. And we just didn't yes. know that before. I think that that's a bigger number than rural is my personal opinion. Ooh, do you really? Okay. Yeah, I okay. <clears throat> I think we've been lumping cities that if you live in this urban center, that you automatically have broadband, but it still comes down that these big companies have ROIs and why would they build into some of these areas? So, yeah, I think it's going to be a big urban solution, but I, yeah, I haven't seen the maps. I've just heard, I, I feel like they're elusive. They're out there, but nobody's ever really seen them. There's like four people um, who are out there, but We'll but see. even once you see them correcting them, it's like, I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to go about correcting them. It's just, it's a mind boggling. You know, I'm confused. Yeah. I thought this is what the whole cable TV franchise agreements were all about for the last hundred years. Well, they were, no, and they were largely successful. Is, but here's the reality in a city, and I guarantee it's in your city. When the cable companies first built, they got to a railroad track, and there were seven houses on their side, and they go, it's not worth it. They got to a cul-de-sac, like, we can't get in there. There's a water hazard. There's a million little pockets. There's three apartment buildings that didn't let them in. And they never came back and filled those holes in. So all over the city, in your cities, there's a dozen of these halls or maybe 50 of these halls. And you multiply mm -hmm. that times all the city, and it's a lot of people. Sure. So, so, that, that, so that, they, that, they don't care about the franchise agreements. They, you know, who will, again, the, there's no way to enforce them, honestly. So. So, so basically, this will reinforce the fact that the incumbents will get all this money because who would who would build these little these seven house pockets? Well, you will, Travis. I mean, like, I mean, if you find out that, for instance, there's a number of areas that you're planning on building where, you know, you could get some some support for it. I mean, you oh. you might do it. Oh, you're in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota is going to have an edge out loop policy, and that's where the money's all going to go. You want yeah, zero oh, chance though, because you know what I've learned about these programs. I the the ISP is liable for everything, but the federal entity is not liable for anything. And what I mean by that is, they they're scheduled to pay is whenever they feel like it. Right. So you know you've got vendors and suppliers and all these people and and contractors that are doing all this work that are expecting to be paid. We go ahead and pay our half. We submit the invoice for the other half. When does it show up? Inshallah, you know. And then you call them and they're like. Oh, well, we're too busy working on these new applications to worry about the old one. Like, well, who do you complain to? Here's the moral of the story, everyone. Mm -hmm. Careful who you get in business with. Or pretty mm -hmm. soon you're mortgaging your house to keep your business afloat because the matching grants are not showing up. Mm -hmm. So just be careful. So, Chris, to answer your question on those seven houses, there's zero chance I would apply for help. I'll just do it myself. Well, right. and you're not going like you're not going to go into this one area where there's competition all around you that you're only going to build these seven. Yeah. You have to have the scale and you have to make the business case that you can get the penetration in the surrounding areas. That is the problem. We keep talking about competition and letting new entrants in the marketplace. You still have to make a business case because the subsidies can help those seven. But you still have to get there, right? But I'm I mean, so whether it's someone else that doesn't um, agree with Travis in that same way, who might go after that money, or whether it's a Comcast or an AT and T, like this is how we're going to resolve that issue. We're just going to pay someone to to build those. Is my guess, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But I don't think that money is in these current grants. I think that like, there are a few states that will be. Most states are not going to give out money for that. So. Well, I think that's where I would just say what Shana had said, which is if the numbers, if the maps are correct. <laughs> some of these areas will be eligible and uh, they will be required to uh, build them out, you know, particularly in California where you might have just DSL servicing some of these, they will be eligible uh, and the state will be obliged to at least have a plan for connecting them before it uses the money for other things. And that goes back to your original question. When are we going to see that good map? 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, I just like mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm I'm despairing uh, about the maps. And then we talked about this last time for people who didn't see the show. I think we have an excerpt of it. I don't know if we made it available anywhere. If it is available, it will show up in the chat by uh, Rye, I'm sure, uh, with a link to our discussion about it. We had a great discussion on our last show with uh, Dustin Loop about uh, what states should be doing and uh, how all of this freaking money is going um, out the window. I, um, I need to ask you a question, Chris. So we've talked about in previous shows, how much of this money that's going to be out there is going to be used in a good way to connect? In a good way. So we, we would say that money going to AT&T and Frontier is not in a good way for the purposes of this? Sure, sure. Let's go for that. If it was 40% that was spent in a good way, I would be pretty excited. And I, and I so that's say, all of the electric co-ops. AT and T serves those seven houses of fiber. I think. It's yeah, I, I don't understand why you would disqualify AT and T and those guys. Uh, I would disqualify them because people hate their service. I mean, the fiber service does better, but like that's because they haven't yet had the like ten years of ten pay increases and whatnot. I mean, like these the, these companies are going to provide the worst customer service uh, at a at a high price that's ever increasing, trying to squeeze more and more out. And this is why this is why I get frustrated is that a lot of local officials. Want to just give this money away, thinking, "Well, we'll just solve this problem, then it won't be a problem anymore." Well, it will be. There's lots of people who have uh, the uh, the service from the cable company that uh, is unreliable. As Doug made the case previously, in these rural rural areas, if AT and T and Frontier aren't getting their monthly checks from from the government, they very very well may let the fiber rot uh, to a point in which the network's degraded and it stops working. Like this is not a binary of whether you're connected and then it's solved forever. This is something that we'll have to continue wrestling with. Okay, but I have to ask you a question, and I'm going to give a credit to some of these city officials. How do they know? Like we know because we've been in this industry, we've seen what we've seen, but how do these local officials, when they give this money to these incumbents, how do they know it's not going to be used? I mean, I think some of them give it in a very like optimistic way, thinking that it will be used. I don't know. Like I, I, I mean, this I, is really, yeah. it's a really hard challenge for them because they don't, they give it out in faith because they assume that those folks are going to do what they say. I, th- I think it's- the, we've seen the big companies not do what they say many, many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think our expectations are too low. Like, I mean, how do they know? There's nonprofit organizations like the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. There's <laughs> there's shows that we make available. I mean, like, what more do we have to do? The League of Cities has like the National League of Cities, the state leagues, they 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 tackle this in some ways. And there's an unwillingness, like at a certain point. And I would say that that point is like 2017, arguably, or maybe 2020, um, where when you have your head in the sand on this stuff, it is your fault as opposed to just being a natural reaction. I disagree. It's Travis's fault. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Not my fault. The, uh, I mean, when I talk to these cities, they, they, they genuinely do not have time to study this or research mm-hmm. this or anything. This, this, they, I, sometimes I feel like this hot potato got dropped in there. Thank life. you, Travis. Yeah. Thank you for that because that is like that is the answer I hear. They don't have time, and you know no, what? we don't have time. We don't have staff. Can we use some of this money to get more yeah, staff? It's a prioritization food? issue, yeah. then, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, like they don't have time to like to do lots of things, and like they find the time, right? Like, like cities didn't handle water systems, and then they did. They had to make the time and capacity, and they recognized that treating it seriously, like a utility, would create such enormous benefits to everyone that it was worth doing. And cities want to pretend that like access to the world's information and for businesses and for residents is something that they should outsource to a company that literally just sees them as a well from which they can drag profits as much as possible when just basically like squeezing as much revenue out of the town as possible it's a terrible dynamic 
Yeah, but you got to go back and look at your water history. A lot of cities did a horrible job with water. Only when they got massive fines from the federal government did they even try to give good water. So, so you know, so that what people need is not necessarily the driver. Trouble with cities, they, they were literally at any given time, the city council was wrestling with 20 very difficult topics. If you, if you just go sit through city council meetings, which I do a lot, it's unbelievable the kind of things they're asked to weigh in on every week. It's, it's, it's a thankless job. It's really tough. So. Oh, yeah, I agree. And the, we need to be respectful. Um, but like, we also have to have higher expectations, I think. Kim? No, and first of all, I need Doug to have a better life if he's just like trolling city council meetings. Because, no, I have to um, I speak. I speak at a lot. Of <laughs> but yeah, no, I get it. They have a lot on their plate. They're not expertise experts in this field. And I think it's like, how do, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. And I think it is that they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> And they don't reach out to get it, and they just make uneducated decisions, and we keep wasting federal dollars. It's it's a it's a like a circular process. But I, I do give some it's credit. A, that some wait, and you missed a step, and they have untruths whispered in their ear by the incumbents. That is fair. And listen, <laughs> there's also a massive fail of philanthropy. Like, I mean, I think there's a lot of discussions about the role of philanthropy in this country, but. One of the things that philanthropy has refused to do is wrestle with internet access. There's only a few large foundations that have made money available. Many of them have cut back on it. Um, you know, others have never even tried it. People talk about this as though it's really important, but very few people write checks to get it done. One of the reasons that I, when people ask me why states have such bad laws is I'll say we don't have a Sierra Club or a Ducks Unlimited of the internet. There's no organized effort in most states to educate leaders and to give them, you know, an, a different opinion on something than they hear from the big companies. And that is a failure of the people who have hoarded billions of dollars in the past and are supposed to be spending it in the public interest today. And that's why it's not taxable. But I we're, also the, we're the only ones doing it. This show is the advocate. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a failure for this industry not to come together and unite in a singular message too, because we're divided of technology or whatever that we can't even come together as an industry. Yeah. So why do we think that there's going to be people out there who create this one organization? It's it's very hard. I mean, it's very hard because we all believe something different, but I do think that we should unite so people can get behind us um, and support this mission going forward. Let's talk about the ACP, the oh, Affordable Connectivity Program. What's that, Kim? I said, that's sexy. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move on to something that people are really into. <laughs> Oh, we actually got some graphics for this one. Look out. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm asking Rye to join on to, to walk us through us because um, there's uh, – and we want to give good credit. So, Rye, why don't you start off with giving credit with who raised this with us um, in, in what we're trying to figure out. Sure. Hi, everybody. Good to join you here. I'm going to add this to the screen. So uh, – so the affordable connectivity program has been going on for most of a year now, and uh, we have been keeping uh, keeping an eye on how the money is getting spent and where to try to get a better idea of where to focus things like outreach efforts and uh, where the friction points are, so that the money who the money that's going out to help households pay for internet access can can actually get to the people who need it. Uh, and so uh, here's a, uh, the front page of a dashboard that we built that exists at acp-dashboard.com. And uh, we've been looking at various ways of crunching the data um, that, so that it's useful for folks on the ground. And uh, one of the things that's become immediately clear uh, or that has become increasingly clear over, over the last few months, um, and this has come from uh, talking to folks at uh, Free Press and elsewhere who are also uh, doing deep dives on this data, Benton uh, Institute, 
um, is that uh, while and in particularly common sense media with Drew Garner, right? Yeah, and common sense media, of course. Yep. And so uh, while the enrollment rates for this program has, have been continuing to go up, the usage rate has stayed uh, very flat. So uh, while the enrollment rates have been going up and up and up over the last six, seven, eight months, uh, the usage rates, or uh, here's a, a word that Chris hates, utilization for the, of the program has stayed like flat since like uh, the earlier part of this year. And that's a problem because it means households are getting signed up for the program, but there's no money going out. We know there's no money going out the door to help them pay for internet access. Uh, so uh, the Benton Institute uh, did a, a deep dive earlier on this year at 30 metro areas. Uh, they were gracious enough to let us add this as a layer to our dashboard to see how those metro areas were performing uh, compared to one another. And if you saw an earlier version of this, you saw enrollment rates were, you know, less good in some places and much better in other places. But when you turn off enrollment rates and turn on usage rates of the program, uh, those numbers end up dropping in a big way. And so uh, this, you can see the graph on the right side, uh, the light green, uh, the, the totality of that bar, including the light green is the total enrolled in the program. And the dark green is the subset of those households that are actually using the program. So you can see uh, there are lots of places, Detroit, Baltimore, uh, Atlanta, Washington, Philadelphia, where they've got enrollment rates that are above 50%. Uh, more than 50% of those households that are eligible for the program are enrolled, but less than 30% of the eligible program uh, of the eligible households are actually using the benefits. So double digit percentages, just sitting on the books, not drawing down the bank account. So, so I, the, I need to ask a question about that. That means that they've made it through the application process. No ISPs given them the discount. Yeah, that's a good question. So there are all sorts of unknowns here. And if we have better data from USAC, we would be able to answer some of these questions. But at some point, it means at some point they were enrolled in the program and uh, they remain enrolled in the program, but either got kicked off because uh, a recertification uh, process didn't go through accordingly or they switched providers and didn't uh, didn't think to bring service over. Or you can see that Washington Post article in the bottom left uh, recently. You know, there's there's other like ethically dubious borderline fraud stuff going on as well uh, in terms of on the pro provider side of things, getting people signed up. And then, you know, some of those households aren't going to actually use the benefit. So this is this is one of those things I wanted to share because not because we have the answers, but because we're really wondering what the heck is going on here. And when we talk to people out in the field, this is a surprise to them. You know, uh, when I talk to people from some of these cities and I say, have you heard stories from people who think they're supposed to get the benefit and they're not actually getting it? And they're saying no. So there's some major disconnect of, you know, in some of these cities, half of the people who are eligible for the program um, who have completed the eligibility and could you be using it do not seem to be using it. Some are far less than half. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Interesting. yeah. So some of these places are really bad. Other ones, uh, you know, on the positive side, there are some of the Texas cities are doing pretty well. San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, they still are maintaining relatively uh, high usage rates. Uh, it could be because those cities are just doing a much better job of getting the word out and educating people, um, you know, to, to make sure they're actually using the benefit. Um, it could this be is where. You did also didn't point out something important from the first slide that over half of this money is going to cellular data plans, not home broadband. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's in the lower right. Um, yeah. The pie chart shows um, the darker color there is the, the mobile um, providers. 
Um, I think this is where, right, I don't know exactly what data is available because my uh, Rise team um, at, in my program is the one that tracks all of this. But my sense is, is that if we, it'd be interesting to know if we could have a simple uh, you know, data set from USAC that would tell us, for instance, what companies are involved. Because it might be that some companies, you know, nine out of 10 of eligible people who made it through eligibility are still having the service, like Comcast, I would guess. Uh, and whereas for some of the companies, it might be like 20% of the people who are, who are deemed eligible are only taking the benefit now. And, and that would be helpful. But I don't think we have that level of granularity. Is that right, Rye? We don't yet, right? So that would be that would be nice. Uh, I added this at the very end here, um, and so so what happens is the ISP has to upload a snapshot uh, in certain intervals for people that they for households that they want to claim the benefit for, and uh, going forward, uh, ISPs that ISPs are going to be required to choose uh, a claim code for households that are enrolled but not being claimed for the benefit. And you can see the list of choices they will have to do that. It would be nice if we had that data available to us so that we could see, like Chris says, at a provider level where the biggest um, deltas are and, and and begin to address some of these gaps. Have we have we seen providers drop off and not want to offer it or not even deal with the hassle anymore? Or I know a few small ones who did, but not many. No. Kim, are you guys uh, still doing it? We don't do it, but our providers, um, we have some providers who are who are really doing it. And I mean, I, I haven't heard that they have a huge uptake in it. Um, and I think it goes back to a lot of the marketing. It's how much effort do they really want to put into it um, for the return and all the hassle they have to deal with it. So a question for Rye, is anyone doing a FOIA request for this stuff? Uh, so I know a group of folks have gotten together to submit an ex parte letter to the FCC asking for more. Um, there are folks organizing around this, including Common Sense, Free Press, and, uh, and some other folks. So uh, it'll be good to see but Kim's right. I, th I think the issue of why the whole curve's not going up is I don't think a lot of the big ISPs are telling anybody about it. I mean, it's on their website, and, and they make a big deal when they talk to congressmen. They're not really pushing it. So, yeah. I was taught, somebody asked me yesterday about a low-income program, and I said, do you know about ACP? And this person's pretty knowledgeable. Um, is like, I have no idea. Hmm. Hmm. And so it's like you a lot of people who are not in this space again don't even understand what acp is and i think it's because you still like i if you, you said acp to me it doesn't mean like i would understand that means affordable connectivity <laughs> like so yeah. well kim i'm curious because one of the things i've been surprised at in the past is how like uh for instance a county uh, social services would okay. not be promoting the Comcast's Internet Essentials program because it would be perceived as using government to benefit a private corporation. And we all know that government never benefits private corporations. Let's just ignore the obvious. Um, but <laughs> but like it's a legitimate concern. And and I sort of I wonder, I, I have no sense, um, but I'll bet people at National Digital Inclusion Alliance do. Uh, I would hope that in a lot of places that um, the ACP program is something that is generic enough that that, you know, if you're in dealing with WIC or if you're dealing with like Social Security Administration, like it, this stuff should be pushed on you. You should be annoyed. You should mm -hmm. be getting those text messages that are like, mm -hmm. that we're all trying to write stop back to right now. Right? I agree with you. I think it should be pushed out in every avenue, but it goes back to where is it being pushed out? I haven't seen it. I mean, I haven't uh, seen anybody really advertise it. And maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but yeah, I, 
Well, this is the advertising push should be starting now, right? Because National Digital Inclusion Alliance yelled at the FCC, along with other public interest groups, saying, if you don't have a budget to promote this, it will not be promoted. And then now the FCC is finally doing that. Um, you know, um, another because one of we, those. We all pay attention to FCC ads. That's going to be. <laughs> No, no, the FCC has a budget for other organizations to get access to now to, in order okay. to promote it in different ways, is my understanding. Right, definitely correct me. Hey, Travis, the, I used to be a detail an, guy, and now I'm not, and it's killing me. <laughs> are you going to go after an FCC uh, advertising subsidy? Huh? No. <laughs> no. no. I, you know, the part that, Doug, you probably know this better than anyone. Are these companies margins so thin that they have to go after this these federal dollars for everything they do or Which companies just in general it seems like you know I, but that's I'm, a it's a it's a very heterodox mix i mean some of these companies only exist to go after federal dollars right but then what did you, you say know, header, what forget it. he's talking economics to you again google it google it <laughs> no, I, it's a it's a lot of it's it's more there's more variety in the in the number of companies than you would think they're not they're not all similar Big, okay. okay. So, I, I'm just curious because every time I hear this talk about, oh, we can't do anything unless we get this federal program, I'm thinking to myself, there's a serious flaw in your business model. No, the big no, no. have gigantic margins. Don't no, they? but they have Little to do it don't. for the community benefit. That's why yes. they're doing it, not because of the margins of this no. at all. It's that right. they want to have this that they're doing all of this goodwill for the community. And I mean, that's why anybody's doing it. Nobody's doing this because it's uh, like because they're making any money, it's out, it's more out of the kindness of your heart. Uh, I think the big anything. companies are also leery that this thing's going to run out less in a year unless Congress gives it more money, and they might not give it more money. Well, that's so. That's one of the things, Doug, is that it probably won't run out next year at these levels because there's so much less money being spent than we thought. So, um, and I, I can let Rye address that. Do you have any sense of how it's changed our projections, Rye? Yeah. Uh, so you know, I don't want to say for sure. The exact date that we think it's going to run out because as chris said it changes based on how many folks are signed up but uh we know that um i think it's 270 million dollars a month about is going out of that bank account and i think there's a little over 12 billion left in it and so also as the uh, you know the fcc outreach and education push uh ramps up we'll start to see those numbers go up and up and up but we were we were expecting it to run out in about two years at a four hundred and fifty million per month drawdown, I think. And oh, now it's like you know it's like sixty percent of that. Yeah, I think we're out to April twenty twenty five ish, or sometime in twenty twenty five or early twenty twenty six. I was going to say, I guess I think I'm glad to see the FCC um, has the same budget that for ACP as my glasses budget is every year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can, can I ask a real serious question though? No, if you must. <laughs> what we look at this interaction in the comments. What, I know. Show, what show am I on here, by the way? Like... This, is this Mitchell's connect this thing? Because man, look at all these people on here, and Deanna Mitchell's connect this thing as though people aren't tuning in for the three of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Deanne's right. I mean, it's a it's ACP's a pain. It's a pain for yeah. everybody. It's yeah. not easy to deal with. Yeah. So. And for, for 30 bucks, I don't know if a lot of people want to bother. And then, God forbid, you get audited. Oh, there goes all your margin. I mean, so. I know a lot of ISPs who just have a low price option and they're not bothering with ACP. They have a $30 option. Yeah. 
for folks and they're just they're, they're not about to go after this money so yeah i mean i feel like the big companies and i don't know that kim would disagree with me on this but like the big companies that all got patted on the back by the biden administration i think are doing it because of public relations because any chance that they can have to say hey remember us we're not always bad we're not terrible like you don't, right. you don't totally hate us right like right. they're it's a great opportunity for them to say oh no like we are doing stuff and like for them to go to congress and say oh i know people complain about us but we're doing all this great stuff nobody knows and you know that's what that's why they do it right well and i i think that shana made a great comment of like she said she couldn't disagree with me more uh about that there is some money in this absolutely they're making the money at the scale they are from these programs but the hassle that they're dealing with still if they could get out of that and just go out and get those customers without the 30 dollars, they would totally do that before right. they would go through this program yeah and i'll and i'll just want to say also that like quick rant on uh, on the economic system like um there are really good people um at comcast and maybe a good person at charter who really care about <laughs> these programs right and are trying to make it work but the companies have a limit in terms of how much they are going to go down this path because they have a responsibility to wall street to their shareholders to uh, maximize their profitability and uh and so they are going to do that and that means sub um you know serving some number of small income house low income households but it will never mean meeting all of the need that is out there i also this is my chance to always remind you that the big companies don't have universal policies on anything well, it's regional profit centers and so the guy one reason Cleveland may look so good there is the cable company there might have a guy who cares about it and the other cities may not. It's There literally is that regional difference and it's based upon the general managers of the area. So, Yeah. I, I knew we couldn't get through and connect this without some economic lessons from Christopher Mitchell. I would like another big word or two, though. Before I'm going to rewind and try to figure out what that word is he said. Heterodox. It may not even be, it may not even be used correctly. <laughs> who knows? But it popped into my head and... Yeah. Um, and sometimes things pop in my head before they pop out of my mouth, but not always. <laughs> I just looked up heterodox and it says, ask Chris Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the, the question is, Kim earlier said a thing about using my full name and it's when people start using my middle name that, uh, I will be concerned that I'm in trouble. That's the, that's the signifier for me, not just the Christopher. Hmm. Uh, last last bit as we're wrapping up, T-Mobile, uh, giant poles. I suppose that could be, uh, should be maybe our next uh, peekaboo. Um, uh, Rye may have one before we finish this segment, but uh, there's photos in the New York Times about these big poles popping up and and, uh, and some woman with crystals that's avoiding the, uh, absorbing the radiation uh, on her windowsill. But uh, it's an interesting question. Some people were like, it's reasonable. Some people said unreasonable. Have you all seen these pictures? Yeah, they're, they're terrible. The, you know, we had a first round of that when 5G was supposed to come out, small cells, because Verizon started off with these monstrously large towers, and they put the electronics up in the air, and they look like they look like satellites on top of towers. And so, so they've changed. They moved all the stuff underground into vaults. And they made shorter towers, and so you know this is a local fight. It's a local fight of city jurisdiction to be able to say no to cellular companies. The FCC rulings are all in favor of the cellular companies, but cities continue to fight very hard against it. And so it's an ongoing battle that's never going to stop. And it's not just about these towers. It's about everything that has to do with the aesthetics of its city. And so, uh, so yeah, those towers are particularly ugly. I'm surprised in today's age, after all these fights, that they would do that. 
Oh, they're uh, all through my neighborhood in Salt Lake City. Like one day I was yeah. like driving down the street and I those said, giant aluminum ones like that. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was like, I'm glad they didn't put this in my yard. I would be, yeah. yeah I how would you like that right at the end of your driveway? Yeah. These, these are. Big. They don't have any choice, and they're just atrocious. <laughs> well, if Kim was wearing no her glasses, it. I'd worry she'd run it over. You can't say no to it because it's in the public right away, which is the first six feet from the street. And he's like, "Yep, I'm putting it here." Yeah, there. I, I thought that was a joke. That's <laughs> no, real. No, That's for real. <clears throat> At least the ones in Salt Lake. And let's be clear: this is now this one. Public this one's benefit. most atrocious because each of those boxes is a different antenna. So this one's you know, and the ones but some of those are for the, the ones that Kim's in. The neighborhood will have quite as many of those on it. This is well, the Link NYC though, which is for public benefit as well, right? Yes, there's free yes. Wi-Fi there, and stuff like that. So, stuff in it, right? Yeah, I mean, so like there, in theory, the city negotiated this on for the benefit. Oh no, of no, people. someone at the city goes. By the way, can you make room for my stuff too? So yes, huh. that's a city choice. And these well, are every, the city, every now the city can't too? complain about the way they look. So these are, <laughs> these, are every, these are every couple blocks. Uh, I believe they will be if they're not yeah. currently. Uh, not too far apart. Yeah. yeah. Because these are small cells and they don't really handle a lot of people. For well, the thing that would make this better is what I thought Link NYC was doing, which is advertising on them too. Digital displays with uh, local advertising. Well, they kind of, those were the kiosk at the bottom. They're, they don't have as many of those as they used to. Okay. They literally had a two-sided sandwich board at the bottom that had giant tubes in them. And what they found out was all the homeless people were watching porn. <laughs> on the city street with giant with giant size so they, they had they had some problems some they, things are better shared with your neighbors go ahead they ACP, what they're using on their cell phones <laughs> to get um anything else that we want to touch on before we run out well i think shana has this la thing nailed I'd, I'd be curious to hear from her someday why nobody's ever overbuilt the incumbent that's there uh you know, well there's seems, a seems there's like a lot are, of a lot of money out there to be made. I think there is. I think it's been, um, uh, I think a lot of people uh, find it frustrating uh, operating with the California rules. Um, it does um, in particular the, the issue around a private right of action for certain um, uh, reviewing, although I don't know that telecommunications is in that. So, um, but Shana has been on the show in the past and will be on again, uh, you know, terrific voice, but working out there to help educate everyone from elected leaders down to the grassroots folks who are um, getting this stuff done. Um, I think there is an interest, Travis, in bringing new blood to town. So you, uh, you know, if you want, um, you and I should spend some time there while you're down in that area uh, over this winter. In California? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Oh, I don't can think I saw my loan application now. It feels yeah. like seven bucks a gallon going. I don't there. think his RV yeah. can get that. Far. So, yeah, no, no. okay, so I'm gonna have to scale back. I was, I was, I'm hoping that you're gonna be in the Phoenix area. Um, you know, at the end of January, uh, we're gonna get you to San Antonio at the end of uh, at the end of February. Um, you know, I got plans for you, Travis. I was gonna say my my vacation sounds awfully busy, so. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like if you could uh, if you could build out in a huge metro area like L.A., there'd be a lot of opportunity there for you. I think there's these things called lobbyists. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's a lot of rules in California, and the and the AT and T and the cable companies own the legislature. Yeah, it's a, there's some rules. But, but, but hold on, you, you just so we couldn't go in there. Oh, and you can, um, you can absolutely overbuild privately. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So so. Mitchell Internet could open up in LA, and we just get we get some funds, and we start digging up digging down the street, huh? We should as probably long as, as long as the ads don't have 
as long as the ads don't have his face on it because he's yeah. like a midwesterner here's yeah. here's what we do oh and i i could actually i could put hair gel in my hair you know it changes ah. me real quick okay. um Travis, uh, when you're down there, we'll just, uh, you don't have to drive over. We'll just uh, hop you on a quick flight or something and pop you over for a couple of days. I, I just can't believe if L.A. of all places, like, like you know, New York, L.A., Chicago, if they can't be done. I mean, I, w- I wonder why. What's what's holding people back? I don't think it's a, it's, I don't think it's a can't be done. Um, you know, there's, and, no one is, there's no one who's has spent the money yet. That's yeah. what I got. Yeah. But, to, but I also think that, like, to the extent that there have been like policy issues, I think those there's a lot of effort in wanting to remove those now. Mm-hmm. If there has been a government limitations, mm-hmm. Team Utopia LA version, I, I'm feeling it. Thanks, Travis. Yeah, let's have let's add one more county to your California list, Kim. No, I'm, I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay, I did want to ask you, Kim. It's been a few weeks without an announcement. Are you? Is the well run dry? Does no one want to work with you anymore? Oh no, we we have one that's coming out this week. Don't you worry. It's <laughs> I'm excited to hear it. I, our P, I'm actually in our PR team's office right now, and I'm going to go out there and yell at him. Why isn't it out yet right now? Hmm. You're in Bob's office? I'm in Bob's office. Why didn't you say we should have had him on? We don't want Bob in there. He's like actually working. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Want... Well, in that case, can you get photographic evidence? I've never seen that. <laughs> okay. I will get photographic evidence. I'm did just, you... well, go ahead, Travis. Did you, did you start construction up in Bozeman yet? Oh, we have customers up in Bozeman. Well um, done. Uh, wow. We, well we have, done. We have pro- we have quite a few customers. Uh, we are hitting the winter season. It was 18 degrees. So the ground freezing yep. uh, is slowing down some of the, the boring. And we're uh, going to the aerial uh, for the winter. So it's buckle up, people in Bozeman. It's cold up there. And it's going to be a long winter. But we, we got quite a bit of conduit in the ground. And we started doing drops. Uh, for some of the areas that the main line hadn't been finished yet, just so we could uh, continue to do those installs during the winter. So right, let's go out to LA then and let's help Shana get some people hooked up. What do you think? Shana, we're coming. Yep. And uh, Fairlawn, uh, Ohio today announced uh, that they are changing uh, their rate structure. Uh, same uh, basic price of $55 a month for the standard tier, but now gigabit rather than uh, 300 megabit symmetrical, I think. Uh, they have like 63% of the town is using it. So when you hear people talking about all these cities failing, um, you know, just uh, check out some facts because... That's remarkable at Fairlawn. And Fairlawn does not have a municipal electric utility. So kudos to them. And, and I want to get this fact out there. So I, even on the first customers that are coming on to connect um, to connect over there, we're seeing 70% of the Bozeman area people connecting to one gig. They're choosing one gig over 250 yeah. symmetrical. Um, and there are other options, 10 gig. But we the uptake, when you give people the choice, they pick for higher speeds. And What's more, the rate? Um, the rate's like 75. So... That's awesome. I think the the fifty five dollars a month for a gig has got to be like I don't I, I got to think there's fewer than ten of those that I'm familiar with around the country. Seventy dollars still seems there's like a, a common there's bar, right? Usually there's the gig a... is seventy or more. I think. Yeah. yeah. Hundred dollars, Chris. Hundred bucks. No. It's here. <laughs> Travis, I will pay you two hundred dollars a month. I'm going to up my ante. Uh, just bring it to my house. Um, does that change the books at all? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, St. Paul. We're gonna we're we're gonna see. We're 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 across the river, Mr. Mitchell. Yeah, but boys, they got to pay you the second month, Travis. That's what well. <laughs> yeah. The bank won't take chicken wings. I already asked. <laughs>
Oh, and I have a photo. Let's, we'll have to save that for a peekaboo. But a uh, um, uh, fan of our show uh, in Holland and I grabbed some wings. So um, we'd have some wing talk. Um, this is going to continue forever if I don't just draw to a close. Um, I think in two weeks, it's like, thank, no, in two weeks, it's not Thanksgiving yet. We'll probably hopefully have a show before Thanksgiving. Um, and, and I was thinking, should we get a show like a December 15th or something like that? Like a show like year in, year in review mm -hmm. and next year in preview and try to really hype it and actually have more than more than four viewers? I might hey, have to wear my biggest, Hey, this, this is our biggest show ever. This so is the biggest it. ever. Yeah. But yeah, by a long shot. Yeah. Well, it's certainly the most active groom. I mean, I, it makes me want to work on Tuesdays more. I'll tell you that. Like, um, wonderful job. Probably good. Yeah. Well, okay. But Chris, I did not win the Powerball. So now I need something to bet with you on for next year. So, so I can win something again. Did anyone win yesterday? Somebody out in California. So there's plenty. I, you know what? I'd like to congratulate the state of California and the IRS for winning the Powerball today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. State of California just got like what? What did they get? 100 million? Oh, probably 400 million. Yeah. 400 million out of this. So there should be yeah. plenty of cash. Wouldn't that depend on whether they take the payout all at once or the, the yes. recurring? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful to see you all. And um, I'm sorry I didn't have enough rants, uh, but uh, I'll work on that for next time and I'll try and keep my language down, uh, you know, trying to, um, trying to prevent that from spoiling anyone's afternoon. <laughs> well, I, I have final last words for me. I would like to thank everyone for this latest episode <laughs> of Flower Talk. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're not and big tulip fans. We're not big tulip fans. We're out here. Apparently no. not. <laughs> yeah, get out there and plant those bulbs. You're running out of time. And uh, we will see you all in uh, two weeks, hopefully. And that has been another wonderful episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.